Hey folks, welcome to Atlanta on Fire, a podcast where we'll be talking all things about Atlanta United. Buckle up and welcome aboard. This podcast is sponsored by Wild Heaven Brewery. Do you have an emergency? You better have an emergency. Emergency drinking beer. (laughs) Crack it open. Pour it down your gullet. Delicious. Not really sponsored by Wild Heaven. Nick, if you're listening, we could use a six-pack of beer. We'll drink that instead of this fancy wine that Dave has brought for us. This is the second episode of ATL on Fire. I'm Mike Dobbs, your host. I lack most of the credentials to be hosting a podcast, but that's not going to stop us. Uh, this uh, has, uh, you know, been a, a podcast we started here in the fire uh, or in the man cave. We got a fire behind me. That's the crackling noises, and uh, I've got my trusted sidekick, Dave Katz, with me. How you doing tonight, buddy? Doing well. Uh, the fire is roaring. The wine is delicious. It's a uh, Hess Select uh, Cabernet from California. Not quite as fancy as the Oberon from last week, but still very nice yeah. and drinkable. Keeping it uh, fancy here. And I should say, as usual, our motto is, we know a lot about soccer, we know a fair amount about Atlanta United, we know some about MLS, but we're going to talk about it all. Indeed we are, and uh, to talk about it all, we are uh, joined by another guest, Billy Ellick. Uh, a colleague and a friend uh, from Avondale Estates. Well, not a colleague, but uh, uh, a good buddy. And uh, appreciate you joining the podcast and talking a little bit of soccer tonight. Thank you for having me. I am not drinking wine. <laughs> I am imbibing in a lovely, I forget which one it is, but a single malt scotch that is fantastic. Quinto so welcome bomb. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Billy, I guess to, to start things off... Um, would love to hear a little bit about kind of how you became an Atlanta United fan. Uh, if, if I can just kind of take a moment to rewind just from a historical perspective. Yeah, man. Um, so being involved in soccer from a very early age uh, in New Jersey is where I grew up. Um, I was exposed to the North American Soccer League. Okay. Uh, so it kind of draws a, a synergy to that, and and to be exposed to the New York Cosmos, for example. Mm. Um, when I was twelve or thirteen, my team actually played on the field before a Cosmos game. Wow, right? awesome. So you just kind of have that, right? So you got um, to see Beckenbauer and Pele have, and all that. I don't, I don't. I don't have Pele's autograph. I have Beckenbauer's, Canalia's. There's there's a few, wow. right? So just there's a lot of historical component to that. I was a ball boy for the Philadelphia Fury for two seasons. Wow. So there's just you know a lot of like that just kind of it kind of harkens back to growing up because truly back then, um, in the seventies, the state and there there's a really interesting parallel between Atlanta United and the Falcons and the New York Cosmos and the Giants, New mm-hmm. York Giants. At that at that time, the Giants were like not a really good football team. Right. We're barely you know, D- selling Dave out. is a huge giant. We're, 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 <laughs> I'm from we're, New York, so yeah, but, but we're yeah. but we're barely selling out. Right. And the Cosmos come in with all those players, and yeah. and it was just, I mean, these were the same players that were going out at Studio Fifty Four. Right. You know, it was like it was unlike anything. But but what was interesting was the the model that the NASL had just was not 
super sustainable. But, yeah. but personally, I was exposed to that at a very early age. And ironically enough, it kind of brings things full circle to my son being pretty much at the same age that I was back then, mm-hmm. right now. Mm. Even maybe a couple years younger. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the major difference was you know being exposed to the true development, evolution, and building of this 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 presence is really what it is now. This movement, you know. Well, the NASL was this flame that just burned super bright and then burned out. And of course, you know, a lot of MLS, which we can get into was a reaction to that. A lot of these, you know, rules for player allocation. Many lessons learned. Was all about what happened in that league. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and to that point, so to bring it full circle to the, to, you know, how did I really, it wasn't, it's not so much geared towards, you know, my son per se, but that was certainly an impetus of the youth soccer development and all the kids would be involved and here's this, and it's really a matter of getting in at the ground floor. Truth be told, really big anti-MLS guy for a lot lot of different reasons. yeah. For a lot of different reasons. And I used to have Facebook fights with guys that I've known for years about it, and they just thought I was a curmudgeon. Mm. And truth be told, you know, not to say that I was quote-unquote wrong, but it really goes to the way that Atlanta United has designed, built, and formulated a true model that I think is that I think a lot of people are taking note of and and looking at how to do it going forward. Well, Mikey Dobbs was a skeptic as well. Yeah, um, I, I'm very thankful that uh, Dave in the, in the group that we have you know season tickets with uh, you know talk me and one thing I knew is I like these guys enough to have a couple beers and <laughs> and give it a go and uh, you know I like soccer enough and I did realize that MLS's quality had risen over you know the uh, since 1996 is right. when when it launched right so um, you know I, I was optimistic that hopefully the quality was going to be entertaining right. enough and uh, ironically enough like I remember the first game at Bobby Dodd and didn't know any names of the players and was standing there and I, it was in the first few minutes of the game and the ball got kicked out of the backfield and Miguel Almiron hit it like one, t- he, he like moved to, to position himself and like volleyed it out wide to another player. And I just, I remember like just being like, who in the <laughs> hell is right. that? I was like, that was high quality. And I was like, I, I, I still remember that moment. Now it's, I, I feel like okay, maybe I should have a podcast if I was like able to, uh, you know, identify that one little moment of of quality that I know really got me amped up, and I, and obviously that day and the atmosphere and Bobby Dodd was incredible, and it's pretty much hooked ever since. Yeah, and I think selfishly the real very organic uh, environment that they've created that is shared with you know now he's my son is 10 and mm-hmm. but when this thing started it wasn't right but it yeah. was like, so yeah. it's and 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 knowing other peers of ours that have children as well it truly is becoming woven into the fabric of of them growing up yeah and i think that's a super important thing to just be cognizant of because because these kids like i can relate to you the exact feeling it was like to go to a New York Cosmos game that was... I, I went to Pele's last game. Yeah, that's incredible. I went to Beckenbauer's last game. Yeah. I can tell you exactly wow. to the point. 
and 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 the same types of experiential things I think are being then you know translated not so much passed down but these right. kids are are experiencing that and it's, and it's just it's just super cool and so they had Pele we have uh, Martinez they had uh, Beckenbauer we have uh, Al Marone or Parkhurst yeah no but <laughs> you know, it's about the same it is but it's pretty amazing like you, you all have uh, have kids that are a little older than mine and so like seeing seeing both your kids in in the five stripes and realizing like yeah this is actually uh, you know generational in terms of kind of joining this at, yeah. at the right time is, is pretty amazing my 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 daughters are hopefully going to be uh you know in, <laughs> inducted too once they get old enough to enjoy it um but you know i've kind of been in the dark honestly with soccer the last 10 years uh now that my kids are a little older i'm able to wake up and watch soccer on saturdays my th- three-year-old the other day was like daddy we we watch soccer all day <laughs> I was like, that's right, sweetie. It was a great day. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully I'm able to kind of introduce them to the game, you know, whether yeah. they play it or just love watching it. That would be a treat for me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, getting into where we are um, preseason here, uh, obviously uh, Miguel Almiron is finally uh, – moved to Newcastle after all the drama for the last really six months in terms of the rumors and then uh, a lot of the, uh, the um, you know, back and forth with, are they going to be able to afford him? He's there. What do you guys think about the fit? As well, I fixed the, I lo- I fix the log that just fell off the fire, I'll let you all talk. Forget the fit. You know, Atlanta on fire said that uh, 100% guaranteed he was going. So we made one prediction. It was correct. And... Uh, that's it. We'll probably never make Put a prediction ever again. <laughs> we'll just quit at a hundred percent. It was interesting. There was there was a time I did not think it was going to happen. Probably the weekend before of mm-hmm. just was this going to actually get in under the wire, right? And, right. And, and all happen, knowing. All the other things that were in play with the signing of Pitti and the right. the four designated player potential challenge that they would face, yeah. yada yada yada, and the the thing that I, I of course kind of in retrospect start, started to think back about of how Miguel was very respectful, but also very clear in his decisioning of wanting to play in in Europe, right. Yeah. And and I think the Bocanegras of the world, and and certainly Darren Eels, you know, coming from you know Spurs, right? Like uh, right. He, he gets it. Yeah. And and they were totally on board with whatever they could do to facilitate that, as long as it was in that price range that they were expecting. Yeah, they played a little hardball. They, and, they certainly did. And kudos to Al Marone to showing up to train with Atlanta yeah. United as if. You know, if there was nothing else, you know, I'm here. Yeah, and, you know, I'm sure his agent is anxious, right? That's his job to be anxious. And he came out and said some things that weren't in the best color of, like, how the the club handled it. And that's, like, the only thing I've heard in terms of the negativity. But that's because he wants his his chunk of the pie. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, like... everyone kind of walks away from that. Spurs got... I mean, uh, Newcastle gets their player. Right, and, and I, I, I they actually need badly. I yeah. think I think a coach like Rafa Benitez is is a tailor made to really 
to, to encourage him and bring him to, you know, a little bit of a different level at a higher stage, arguably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but the way that Atlanta United held themselves, right. They kind of held the line. Yeah. They held out strong. They could have caved really early and settled for just 20 million or whatever. They wanted 30. They ended up, you know, getting 26, 27, whatever it was. Um, Good for them. Everybody played it right. Yep. Agreed. And I think it also is a little bit of a window in to not just how Atlanta can do their business going forward, but other teams within MLS, yeah. right? They're, they're, they're kind of putting a little bit of a blueprint together, apart from just all the, the startup organizational things, right? There's a lot of boxes that they've checked. Mm-hmm. But this is a really good example of being very true to the values of the organization, looking to get maximum return from a player that by all accounts was perfectly happy there as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it you know, without everybody just kumbaya and it, it was like, it truly was a win-win-win across the board. And you, we all know that that's, that's yeah. kind of a rarity that, you know, the player's happy, the exiting team is happy. The incoming team is happy. That's it's exactly like LeBron taking his talents to South Beach, right? Yeah, exactly. I would love to know, though, like honestly, how much Darren Eels, he looks like. I mean, he obviously is a champion uh, in terms of the way everybody in the, in the back office manages this. So, but with four DPs being on the roster, with Newcastle and, and Mike Ashley never having spent anything on this uh since michael owen was there michael last, owen yeah right 2008 <laughs> right it was owen. like 15, 15 million right so this is a right. it was it wasn't a guarantee right and so i'm sure that he was on eggshells a little bit there even like like we all were were and one of the cool things was is you both of you are so much more in tune with european soccer than i am I know this Billy from you just talking to you at the pool. I'm like, man, I wish I I knew, but I just can't even <laughs> keep up with you. But it was really cool for me with this whole deal, like having it be local, right? Like they're talking about the transfer of like our guy. Yeah, big like, nat, you know, big worldwide transfer coming from Atlanta. Yeah, in year two, let's go. Yeah. Right? So all right, um, that's done and awesome. And but what was amazing about management too is we backfilled with uh the south america south american uh, player of the year P- before PT. we move on mikey Dobbs, yeah man conspiracy theory right we haven't touched upon the five stripes changing to the black and white stripes that is true I mean, is really is newcastle different than atlanta united i mean is it the well, same team did they just maybe colored the stripes well or, i don't know if if uh, or maybe almarone only likes to look good in stripes Escobar did leak the kit, right? So, uh, it, you know, maybe that is a, a rope-a-dope move. I don't know. But, yeah, I think that is what's happening. I think we will see the black and white uh, shift this year as the, the kit that's announced. When are they doing the kit announcement? I don't know. I'm not into that thing. Next Friday. Next, next Friday. Friday. So, whatever. As long as it's got the little star on top, I'm good. Um, if you believe what you see on the Twitter sphere, it's going to look identical to AC Milan. Yeah, it looks, yeah. It looks like it's the the nine stripes. Yeah, um, but yeah, the, the rumor there was that uh, can count. Escobar. I don't know if you've seen the photo yeah. of Escobar. I guess did a selfie to his wife, who yeah. then whoops, yep, put it in the social. Oh, because I think the badge even had the star. That's the why he's injured. Yeah, yeah. right. That's because okay. uh, <laughs> he leaked the leaked the jersey. Don't let that slide. <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, PT, they've had some preseason games. I've seen some video of practice where he's doing bicycles and megging people. Uh, and that's what you saw when he was at uh, River Plate as well. Uh, I think we got ourselves a better uh, backfill, honestly, from what I've seen on, on YouTube. Um, but that's just me being a, a homer. Uh, but he does look like his quality in terms of just being able to be the full package while Miguel was completely explosive and had that part of the game that was super exciting in terms of just going zero to 60. I think that PT is more, more of a complete player from what I'm seeing in terms of my limited knowledge of watching a person play on YouTube. <laughs> Don't let that get in the way. This no. is the ATL on fire. Knowledge, you know, come forget on. that. Yeah. yeah but, I mean, what I think you get with this, this player is just, um, he, he truly is more complete um, in, in every sense of the word. And, and uh, it, it, it's, it's tough to, to compare the environments that he's come from playing you know, down in Argentina, right? I yeah. Mean, River Boca, is, I mean, there's, you know, find, find a bigger rivalry. And, and, and so he's, he's very accustomed to super, you know, high intensity and, 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 uh, and high quality. Well, Almiron came from there too, but, um, you know, you're getting a much more mature, older, polished player. I mean, it's sort of a bit apples and oranges, you know. It's who we hope Almiron will be, you know, three, four years from now. No doubt. Well, it'll be interesting to see, for example, how that all, because like with with Almiron, there was a very known entity of where what his skill set and, and and how to formulate a tactical approach to. Yeah. Pity and, and and then you know throw in you know without even jumping ahead right but throw in like how does how does Barco fit into the mix? Yeah, well, I was about to say the same I mean, thing. There, I think there, there are multiple different different question marks there, which which I started thinking about earlier today is just like wow, LGP, Remedy, Barco, Tito, Pity, Martinez, Bros. But yeah. <laughs> but, but you've got a significant Argentinian oh, yeah. footprint Huge. on this team. Huge. And how does that then work with without jumping the shark with tactically a Dutch oriented hmm. total football yeah. approach, which is exactly what Frank DeBoer brings. Right. Make no mistake sure. about that. Sure. How does that all then start to coalesce? Uh, I, I was just thinking about yeah. it, you know, as we were kicking this around earlier, and I'm like, wow, you know, how do all the how do all the pegs? Well, one thing you have to think about, right? So total football was actually, you know, Ajax claims they invented total football, but it was really just Cruyff. Yeah. Right. And I know Cruyff. Somebody realized that nobody could take the ball off of Cruyff's foot. Period. Right. So. The idea of total football was invented when people said, all right, if we give it to Cruyff, we can just go running around. He's never going to lose the ball, and then we don't have to worry about getting counterattacked, and he's just going to find people. Okay, So total football and the concept of positionless football that you know, De Boer you know, loves, the, it, it relies on not only a, a creative force, but someone who's not going to give it away. Right, and so that's it's an interesting thing, you know. Al Marone, 
was occasionally prone to giving away because he really tried to attack people on the dribble, yeah. and that was okay because we weren't as tactically vulnerable. So if we're going to play more three in the back total football, the question is, can PT not give it away in bad spots? Or Barco, can he not give it away? Well, I think that's why this is going to be a breakout year for Barco because I think as all of us were expecting from him last year with just the hype, I mean, he was a huge transfer last year coming into the club, only, what, 19 coming in. You're expecting, like, goals, like Almiron, like, explosiveness. But he, you know, one of the things I, I felt like he lacked, I didn't see him really beat players one-on-one. That really wasn't – he he hasn't evolved there yet. And I'm not saying he can't. He just um, – he's a small guy. Um, but one of the things that you, you do notice when you're watching is he possesses the ball. He, he very rarely gets dispossessed. He makes very good passes, and very often he makes a nice critical pass to somebody else like Gressel on the outside or somebody on the far post. I, I feel like he is going to um, have a little pressure off of him this year, and he also has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, I'm sure, knowing that the expectation and the, uh, the pressure is on him to perform this year. I think, I, I, I mean, I, I'm hopeful that that's going to be the case. I think he came back and he said... Bring it on because, you know, look at the hairstyle. Yeah. That, right? So he got yeah. Martinez's hairstyle and he's got the same gray whatever hairdo that Martinez has, which says a lot to me that he says, okay, bring on the pressure. Yeah. What do you I think, I would Billy? contend that with, a, with, with Barco, um, he's starting off with DeBoer with a completely clean slate. Mm-hmm. Because there was definitely not not so much baggage per se, but there were whispers of some level of <laughs> tomfoolery and ballyhoo Tom that went foolery. on, right? I like and, that. and 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 just keeping the context of at the time that that all you know, he was eighteen years old, right? Yeah. So so give him a paid, little bit of a paid of a millions, pass, right? and God only knows like what but, his upbringing. But, but was I think like. Tito was uh, was very. Or Tata, I should say. Tata. Tata was very interested in keeping it within the confines of the locker room. Yeah. It was an inter-squad disciplinary issue, yeah. and and but it was very apparent that Barco was was you know put in banishment for a bit. Yeah, and and rightfully so. Now you can potentially suppose that there was a little bit of. Argentinian bravado in play that that Tata was putting him in his place, probably justifiably so. We'll we'll, we'll never know. Nor do we really care at the end yeah. of the day. Right. But what you see exactly, the point you made, is a just in the little bit that we've seen, the little blurbs that have come out, a very determined, resolute, lest we remember, prior to the pity deal. Barco was the largest the transfer fee to MLS. Right. So you couple those two together and you then hopefully develop that little bit of a synergy together. Well, I thought you were going to say, you know, a little chip on his shoulder because everybody said that, oh, Almiron can't be sold. He's the loanee, right? Yeah. You know, and he comes the, back saying, uh-uh, I'm I, not a loanee. I, I was the, it's interesting that, well that that's another good point. I was I yeah. was thinking more of he 
and maybe this is given too much credence to an 18 year old but he definitely did something that was not cool yeah and his manner to pay that back is to be like yeah yeah and i you know i think you know as, I mean? I'll, I'll step up yeah. yeah and as 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 people who are of an older elk like yeah you're like 18 like of course you made <laughs> terrible decisions so i think not but, you mikey yeah Dobbs. never at 18 <laughs> had i made a bad decision um so yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it seems like the locker room has mended itself. At least from afar, you kind of sense that a little bit. Well, you also got to say that you know Barco, when he was playing with Al Marone, they just loved the same spaces, and they just got in each other's way yeah. all the time. They were really incompatible on the field. It was really remarkable yeah. to see. And it wasn't because they didn't like to play with each other. They right. loved to give and go, whatever. But they took up the same spaces so often. There were moments where you literally saw Barco like, where do I go now? Because Almarone is standing yeah. right where I like to be. Yeah. Even so the question the short- is going to be with PT, you know, does he take up different spaces? And my feeling is that he likes a little bit different spaces. Yeah. So... That could totally free Barco's world. I, I agree. And, like, you know, again, from watching a little bit of the clips from the preseason stuff of the Tijuana reserves, which they should beat 7-1 to one or whatever. But the fact that, yeah, you can kind of just see uh, that there is a little bit better spatial relations uh, with them. And, yeah, even, again, my pet peeve with Atlanta United, the way they took short corner kicks, or Barco <laughs> and Almiron being in the corner, like, no, that the, it wasn't working. And they just were in each other's way. It was like it was like driving me crazy. Yeah, it wasn't a corner kick, but they scored one goal off a free kick that was basically in the corner, and Petey just just whipped it right onto Martinez's yeah. head. Boom, goal. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! Is Breck Shea that tall? I mean, what is he? He is very tall. He's very tall. Six foot three. Yeah. So that I mean, it's an interesting mix. Uh, you know, it seems like, it, it, especially after the first week, I saw like some conference with. Frank DeBoer in front of the team and like that kind of very serious like Dutch style like I, I didn't know if he's gonna bring the culture of the locker room is particularly that is Argentina together but he seems like he's I, I just feel like I don't know Instagram and all these little things can only say so much but it yeah, does I it, stay away from that kind of chatter but yeah. just just what I know about like the history of Frank DeBoer um I'm I'm pretty sure that he knows the language of Spanish pretty well because he played yeah, in Barcelona. Oh, yeah, he's fluent. Right? Yeah. So so if there's any question of communication breakdown, yeah, that's just that's just yeah. And, just, and I'm not talking about even like communication, but, but, just but like just, his his but, like attitude, the way he's yeah. But but trying but to influence. I, I I just know so knowing what I know as him back to when he first started when he took over the reins at IHAX. Because you know he, he he came through, you know the way that the Dutch you know, they all kind of intermingle. But you know he ended up going back to Ajax, right. was coaching the youth academy. Right. Opportunity presented itself for the first team, and he took it. And I think in the six years that he was the coach, they won the Eredivisie four times. Yeah, and players that came four through times in a row. In a row, right? yeah. And players that came through his tutelage, like Christian Eriksen. That. That was, you know, under um, yeah, uh, Tottenham. Toby Alderweireld, <laughs> Alderwall, um, <Yeah>. and probably, <laughs> probably, and and he was one that that actually got my attention very recently. But Raymond Vanderweil, 
who just last week, his contract was terminated with Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I know there was the whispers about the Florentine Pogba thing coming in. I'm like, Vanderwaal would be exponentially better. But as it turns out, he totally matches the meets the DP the just because of his salary. Yeah. yeah. But I'm like, if there was a way to the, for them to figure that out. Yeah. A, he's younger, and, and I, actually he's older, but he's a lot better. Yeah. I was surprised Pogba's only 28. Yeah, yeah he's 28. Where, was he came from a, a Turkish team? Yeah. Kind of, sort of. But yeah, kind of, sort of. clubs. No, no. Not Gallic Tesserae. Yeah, but he, he, So I was, I, was, I was hearing, so I think Pogba is left-footed. Yep. And, uh, and LGP is right-footed, so, uh, you know, eventually, hopefully LGPs are Parkhurst's, you know, slot, right? From I think it says that DeBoer wants to play three in the back, and you better have three guys who can defend by themselves. You better have depth. Parkhurst, you know, God bless him, is not young. And yeah. uh, he's like, we better have, you know, right now we have, you know, Escobar can fill in, but he's kind of really the right back. And you have Miles Robinson, but yeah. he needs depth in that three. Yeah, and you hope that Bello sees a hell of a lot of playing minutes this year and and gives LGP that opportunity to maybe trade time with Parkhurst, with CCL and all the other stuff that's going to be going on. I think the idea is you have the three back all the time and then you have the outside backs, whoever they're going to be, Bello, Breck Shea, um, Escobar, and Gressel, but they go fluently from back to midfield. They're midfielders when we're attacking, they're defenders when we defend, and it's... Very dynamic. So we had an email chain about this today, Billy, in terms of like, is Tito, like, the, can, he, can he find the 11? Like, I mean, I don't see him as a starter personally. I still see him as the super sub energy guy that comes on even early, like give him minutes, right? Like he'd be like, the game's not going your way, get him in with 35 minutes that are impactful type of sub, but... I think Barco is is going to make the main eleven, in my opinion, uh, b- because of what we talked about earlier. But uh, what are you, what are your thoughts on the starting eleven? Yeah, we were kicking that around earlier, and and just it it, it really comes down also to a little bit. Even though I'm not a big guy about formation, because yeah. I mean, if you look at DeBoer historically, he is a traditional four three three guy. Yeah. That's just it. Now he's. Somewhat tweaked yeah. it. Tata to was be, the same. Yeah. To be more like a three-five-two, and and I'm just like ah, whatever. It's it, it's it. You know, it is what it is. Tito is a very interesting conundrum because he, he there's a lot of flexibility in what he brings to the table, on the attacking side, especially bringing him on in that you know sixtieth, sixty-fifth to seventieth minute, right? Mm-hmm. Tired defenders, you have fresh yeah. legs. He, he can absolutely change a game. He's proven it. He can change a game. Um, so, so can you make a case for keeping him off the starting 11? You, 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 you really could. I think looking at a player like Breck Shea brings a, a, a little bit of a different dynamic in, into the mix. Totally different player than, than a young player like Bello. Um, but he, he just seems to be, I, I, I've got going into the season, I've got very high expectations of Brick Shea. 
stepping in. He's been he's been kind of a a wanderer for a bit, but I think that I think the skill you know is there to to truly occupy yeah. you know a, a role. Um, long way of saying, um, an elephant in the room is replacing Parkhurst. Yeah, mm. that will be happening. If I were to go out, and I don't think it's very boldly by any stretch, knowing the coach and knowing the relationships, and they can figure it out, Daily Blend will come to Atlanta. Mm. That's interesting. Who's that? I don't even know. He's a Dutch player. He played for De Boer at Ajax, and then he played for Manchester United. De Boer brought him up. Okay. Do you remember the Robert Van Persie? Head, head, that that super ass head ball that he had in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. That ball was assisted from Daily Blind. Okay. Yeah. But, ironically, but the, it was Frank De Boer who played the similar ball to Dennis Bergkamp. Right to Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah. <laughs> was the '98 World Cup yeah, that right? killed the Argies. Oh yeah. god! And they don't they don't forget it. Those Argentinians, man. You know they yeah. they were a little bit pissed at Frank De Boer. You know, we were talking last week about how do we know it's Frank DeBoer, not Ronald DeBoer, right? <laughs> but, uh, right. you know, if I were him, I might be like, oh, no, that was my brother. <laughs> right. But, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking through kind of the, uh, you know, kind of a first pass of the lineup. One of the things that leapt out at me when we were, a bunch of us were kicking this around earlier today was it's, it's refreshing or encouraging or whatever you want to call it that we're now going back and forth to each other about what's going to be the starting lineup. And and, and who do you sit? How can it, how can, yeah, well, you can't I think sit I want to throw a wrench in the whole thing because yeah. I think it's all water under the bridge. So in my opinion, for Atlanta United to survive, I, I hate to say the word, you know, Benitez at Newcastle, you know, ruined this for all, everybody, the word squad rotation right i think you know look you got Concacaf champions league you have u.s open cup you have mls and suddenly you know the idea that martinez let's say martinez barco and pt are your favorites and tito are, is is odd man out the idea that they're gonna play all those matches without squad rotation to me is nuts so i think you know, I hate to say it, but I think there are going to be moments where Martinez is not going to be in the starting lineup, and who's going to lead the line? Tito. You yeah. need, he, he, of those players, he's the only guy who can replace Martinez to lead the line, and there's got to be rotation to keep Joseph Martinez, you know, fresh. active and fresh and whatever. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think you're a hundred, hundred percent spot on. I mean, I think that's why you see the signing of like a Pogba and Breck Shea and. Um, and, and and being able to have those type of rotation uh, moments for CCL, which is, we were talking about this in the last podcast, is something that's going to be a high priority. Um, you know, that, that gives Atlanta United, if we're able to make it to the finals like Toronto did, kind of that, again, global recognition that we're already starting to get just by the fact that Paul Pogba is, again, talking about his brother Florentine being on Atlanta <laughs> United, right? Like, if if that was Paul Pogba going to uh, Houston, you know Dynamo is that the right name of the team? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that I don't think there'd right. be much uh, much excitement. But the fact that we've already kind of created some ripples uh, on the other side of the pond, I think, is pretty fascinating. And, and yeah. 
it actually leads me to the next part of, of uh, the topic I wanted to get into is while Atlanta has created the blueprint, like you said, Billy, in terms of like raising the level of how an MLS team should be managed, like uh, do we do you think it is going to be something that other clubs like that are you know, New England Revolution is owned by Robert Kraft, right? Like, can they take notice of this and and figure out that this is a real real league that's actually going to the next level where you've got a profit of uh, double on a, a transfer fee like Miguel Almiron and you know uh, I, I think obviously the San Jose team bringing on the Boca Juniors coach is a, another reason to believe in the league progressing but again as a whole I have a little bit of doubt on every club being able to raise raise the bar the I think the challenge comes into there are multiple things that are floating around right now. The the league is still dealing with expansion, which I I, I we can that can be another whole podcast. <laughs> um, you've got this save the crew situation and okay is, so, it, is it saved? What is it? Yeah, yeah that seems crew. solid. Yeah. yeah. Saved, yes. Yeah. So but 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 so what happens now? But they guaranteed Austin because of this, right? Right, but that's another whole podcast too, right? There, there, there are multiple factors that are that are going on, and 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 you know, bringing up a Robert Kraft is a great example. Um, in in the grand scheme of things, and I'm just hypothetical. <laughs> that's why we're here. In the grand scheme of things, the New England Revolution and Robert Kraft's portfolio is probably not high on the. Watch list. Right. It's just not, and 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 that's okay, but you just recognize that. I mean, but but now that Robert Kraft, since he's all he gives a shit about is the 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 where the decimal point is as a, at the, the end of the day. But, but the decimal, when he sees Miguel Amaron go for for close to thirty million dollars, do you think there's an eyebrow that goes up? No, not no. for a guy like that. All right, that's not Tom Brady's salary. Yeah. Well, look, you know, you know I mean, I mean, just to, just uh, if we're going to harp on it, but but just, just in, in looking at the league in general, I, 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 I think to more like teams like Colorado or 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 or, or Dallas, right? Like how how are they how are they handling because these are mature clubs, right? Mm-hmm. And here comes Atlanta and just well, you know, changes like, the model. Look, Barcelona comes along. And they play this, you know, unbelievable possession-style football, right? And all these clubs in Europe are like, oh, this is the new way. We're going to play this and whatever, right? But how many teams have truly created that? And it turns out you need Xavi and Iniesta and Messi to do that really well, right? Um, So the idea that other clubs in MLS are suddenly going to be recreating the formula that is Atlanta United is is ludicrous. Yeah. No, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and also like I mean the the formula Atlanta has is the the talent they've been they've been able to get from Argentina and it, I don't know I, I don't know enough about it but is there enough talent pools in these these countries where Atlanta can be that stepping stone to where there's enough teams in the MLS that can 
raise the bar and be competitive or is Atlanta just the outlier? Well, there's a worry, you know, because we're not the first to try and tap into the South American market, right? And, you know, not knowing the Bocanegra, Eels, Tata Martino dynamic, right? There's some concern that some of the early signings, Villalba, Martinez, um, Al Marone, these were players who were actually scouted by Tata himself and recommended, right? So I don't think it's the idea that, look, we just are going to get the best, you know, South American players. But you actually, because other MLS clubs have tried to get the best South American players. But, but Al Marone, you know, at whatever he came here, at 22, whatever, is a special player. But you got to recognize that there are a lot of 22-year-old players in South America who are not Almiron. Yeah. But there's also... So if it was Boca Negra and it was Eels, great. But if some of those players were... I mean, if some of the, the talk was that some of those players were recommended by Tata, then you have to worry, you know, will the pipeline run dry when there's no longer the ability to spot the talent? Now, people have said... You know, Frank DeBoer is going to do the same thing in Europe. He's been spotting talent and he's going to start to bring over right. some of these younger European players. That but, was my theory on the last podcast mm -hmm. that we could start bringing them from that direction as well. Well, there's as, no question that, and, and it's just it's just a matter of record, that Miguel Almiron, when he took a phone call from Tata Martino hmm. and said, I'd like you to come to Atlanta, and his response kind of was... Where is Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I will follow you. I mean, yeah. again, that's somewhat poetic, but it's it's very directionally correct, and and you're right. So, so what do you think has so happened the, so, to so, so, Argentinians' so, understanding of U.S. geography and where Atlanta well, is right now? Well, what I think is interesting is there's a little bit of runway behind the 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 footprint that Atlanta United now has. Just with the players that between like an LGP and a Barco now, you can look to assuage that you don't necessarily have a personality like Tata to make that call. Well, it was stunning, stunning. They signed PT without having a manager. Now, you might say behind the yeah. scenes, they may have told him that DeBoer's coming, but even if that's the case, yeah, it is right? the crazy. fact that you sign a player like PT to come to the MLS in Atlanta without right. a manager is jaw drop. Right. Like, right. what? So yeah, I, I, I'm gonna just take a, a moment to like how how is how is your excitement level going into the season? Like, I don't know. I am over my skis excited. I'm so optimistic that we are going to be right there in in the mix again. Like I I do not think we're going to have a sophomore slump at all this season. I just feel like we've made the right moves. PT Barco chip on the shoulder. Tito still trying to prove something. There's a recipe here that, I, like even Breck Shea, chip on his shoulder. Like everybody's like making fun of that guy, you know, for whoever. Like I didn't even know who he was, but whatever. I think there's a, there's enough of that right now. Pogba, like, oh, well, you're not Paul Pogba. You're like his brother. You're like, 
you're not you're not really the real McCoy. I just feel like there's enough of that, and uh, I, I don't know. I'm optimistic. I think um, you don't sound as excited as me, Billy. <laughs> there's nobody as excited as you. No, and it, it's it's. I just temper it a bit. Yeah. Because um, they're entering a little bit of uncharted, long slog territory potentially, right? Sure. You know, planning the conquer like like do like ask me the same question in three weeks after 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 we see them, right? And I you know that's not. I'm fair. asking you now. <laughs> Come but, on, make make it make a wager on where your head's at in terms of. Oh, no, like, are no you, more are you, predictions. We're I 100% think, I think, right. I think, We're 100% right. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, don't make a prediction. Yeah. I think I think based on the squad, you, you, you're, you're not going to find you're not going to find a better 22. Right. You're just not in the league, and it's a matter of Captain Obvious for DeBoer to pull the strings and like you were talking earlier, getting the rotation in place, and because yeah. they're going to have Fisher congestion and. When when does Khan go in instead of Guzan and all that stuff, and and uh, but but I trust that they'll figure that out. I think they've got and and all kidding aside, like when you look at the depth of the roster, it it it's very serviceable for those of those quote unquote other games. You know what I'm saying? Because you were talking about like giving giving Joseph a rest. Well, yeah. all right. Put Tito up top as the target, right? And get Romario Williams out there, and, yeah. and just and Goslin too, right? You can figure that out. Goslin, yeah. yeah, right. Good call. And Vasquez, right? I mean, they they they've they've got they've got the horses in the stable to do it. Yeah, they're a lot it's, of good it, talent. It it's a matter of how to cycle them through. Yeah. And all kidding aside, that that also accounts for tactically games that they're going into for the regular season that. You know what, Joseph? You're taking this one night off. People go a little bit nutty, but 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 that also throws a bone to the guys that are going to step in, or like Tito hey, or whoever. Yeah, yeah they'll and see and and here's the thing. You know, it's, it's all about pushing and pulling the buttons because if you're able to start to get players to respond to that, you know, you get a kid like a Vasquez because he's yeah. young, right, and he's got. Plenty of upside. So I don't know a whole lot about him. What's what's his position? Forward. He's forward. Okay. RG, twenty years old. Throw him in the mix. See how you do. So you, I, you know, I would say the history is mixed, right? You know, for every, you know, let's go college football because we're you know in Atlanta Southeast, right? For every time Nick Saban walks around, walks away. Um, from LSU, unless Miles wins the national championship in the next year with his players, right? And people think, you know, it's the next coming and whatever, and then they just slowly, slowly get worse and worse. Nick Saban's at Alabama, by the way. I know, but when he was at LSU, before he went to the NFL, yeah. But for every one of those, there is, let's go Benitez, right? You know, so uh, Mourinho... Wins the title with Inter Milan, right? He wins the the Champions League, right? He wins the league title, and then Benitez takes over from him. And Benitez, in the opening weeks when they lose a series of games, says, "We don't have the players to win games." And you're like, "Are you kidding me?" Because you just won the league title, the cup title, and the the Champions League. 
with the same players, right? And they had a disastrous season, right? So, you know, the players, I agree with you 100%. The players are there, right? But whenever there's a change and there's a new coach, there could be greatness or not. And, you know, the, the difficult thing about Tata's regime is that two years is not a regime. This is not like taking over for Alex Ferguson, right. Right. you know, after, you know, 30 years. And that is terrible. That is a great point. Um, yeah. he, it, it's a start. It's still on an upward trajectory, and now there's just a new caretaker. So, you know, yeah. I, I agree with you that in so, terms of right. talent, the we talent are going to make thing. another prediction. How long do you think Frank DeBoer stays the coach of Atlanta United? Mm. We're going to lay it down right here in episode two. <laughs> um, Billy Ellick, you're a part of this prediction. What do you think? Three years minimum. Minimum. Okay. Dave, what's your prediction? I'm going to go somewhere between six weeks and 20 years. I'm gonna I'm gonna say seven years. That's my prediction. Seven years. Yeah, and I would I, I would have said um, a year after I don't know just watching like some of his interactions like on just weird you know, you got to go with the gut feeling on some things, but just the way that I'm seeing just things like gel in the background right now it just feels like all right the team is doing their thing. And that's always a good sign, even though they kicked the shit out of Tijuana Reserve seven to one. Yeah. But that's actually a good sign, like to some degree. You can see the guys are having fun and and genuine fun in terms of photos. Like that's actually a good signal. Well DeBoer when he coached Ajax, right? He took over a, a, a set of players who loved to play his system and he ran with it and never in the history of Dutch football had anybody ever won four straight titles. Yeah. Okay. And he won four straight titles. Here he comes in with a set of players who love to play are perfectly tailored to play his system. So you would argue, okay. Now that being said, you know, Frank DeBoer, even at Ajax, after he started selling all these stars that we talked about earlier, you know, he started to struggle a little bit. And then you know, once he went to, you know, the disaster at Inter Milan and the disaster at Crystal Palace. And I'm going to go with the over on that, greater than six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, he refused to bend his tactics. And, you know, they really, really struggled at those places. And he got run out in a series of weeks. So, you know, you would argue, okay, I would say from that standpoint, it's more like him coming into Ajax the first time. He has players ready to play his yeah. system, and it should thrive. Yeah. All things are pointing in a really um, a, a really upward direction. I mean, they've got um, really sound talent, right? I mean, it's just... Yeah, like you said, it's... Uh, the, the, the depth is there. Um don't like you said. Don't be overwhelmed by the preseason stuff that they're doing. Yeah. That's fine. Um, I think it'll it'll be interesting to see how they handle that squad rotation component to mm -hmm. it. To really see how 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 they handle the depth. I mean, yeah. and because they, they have it, it's just a matter of how all those moving parts right. work together. Because I think on, on balance within the league, they should be okay. Yeah. I mean, very, very commensurate to what they did last year. Um, 
I forget what is whatever whatever that other cup that they play. It's like the that, open, the open, open, open cup. Yeah, yeah, that they don't really care about. They, <laughs> yeah, no you know, but about, but again, yeah. nobody really cares about, right? Yeah. But but to go to if you go back to the season of the Supporter Shield and the MLS Cup, um, I know the Philadelphia Union just made a big signing today. Oh, did they? Who? The Marco Fabian from Mexico is. Mm. Is now a Philadelphia yeah. Unionite, you know. So you know, other teams are doing things, you know. Well, because wait, two, we cause, we don't do our research here at ATL on fire. So yeah, we have no idea. Well, I just dropped today, but but <laughs> but 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 all kidding aside, other teams are doing their. I mean, they're they're looking yeah, to do their business up with the Joneses. to try to keep up. Yeah, and and long way of saying, I think the bar is is pretty much set by Atlanta United. Yeah, and it's good to be the Joneses, or in this yeah. case, the Martinez Bros. The Martinez, I I hope that we just <laughs> go on a run. Honestly, I need it for being yeah. in Atlanta my whole life. Well, okay, every right. Atlanta sports franchise in history has gone on a spectacular run where they've won many many titles, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm gonna just change it up. Um, I've been watching the last couple U.S. men's national team games. Uh, it looks pretty promising, but what are your thoughts on the U.S. men's national team? Did you watch anything? Dave? I watched the last game, in fact, and you know people raving about it, but the first 70 minutes was, in my opinion, awful. Yeah. The, the, the look at sixes and sevens, and, and then, you know the last 20 minutes was great, but... Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, rebuilding to do. I think I agree. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm happy they won, um, but yeah, I don't know where it's going. It's amazing to watch, you know, with all the talent we have in the in the U.S. Sometimes the team to look certainly, you know, a certain amount of stagnation, you know. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say that uh, was optimistic was the the goalkeeper was it Zach Steffen? No, oh, he's terrific. Who's he play for in the MLS? He just got transferred to Manchester City. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he's the the great American hope in the Premier League goalkeeping. The long line we got, you know, Friedel and Keller and Howard and and uh, who's the you? Oh, right, Brad Guzan. Sorry, and and. Uh, uh, and now, of course, Zach Steffen. It all started with Tony Miola. Yeah. Yes, Tony Miola. All right. right. We're, long, uh, we're getting but, long but, arcs in Miola and uh, Ramos, the, the New Jersey brothers, right? That's where you're from. I, I actually played They're against, all from Carney, right? I, the Carney Thistle is the team they played for. Yeah. I, I played against Tabaret when I was 12. Wow. Um, so uh, going back to your question yeah, about, the, about the national team, um, I think they're in... Obviously, in a bit of a conundrum of identity searching and trying to figure that out. But the, the, the thing that just strikes me is the number of players of, and however you want to define quality, but various stages of quality, under the age of 22 that we have out there right now, whether it's in MLS or the multiple different European leagues. Right. I I would challenge any one of us to think of us having that that core out there. And they're out there. I watched I watched Tim, Timothy Weah score for Celtic and assist for Celtic last weekend. Yeah. It, it, playing for Celtic. Right. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and you got Pulisic, and, obviously, and, and, um, and Take Pulisic out. He doesn't even count anymore, right? And, <laughs> oh, and, but, 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 but no, 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 I'm just saying. But, but of, the, of the age group. And neither does McKinney. He doesn't count any. But you see, there, there, there is a truly significant number, a like pool. And I, and I, I target 22 as the, as yeah. the age. Right, it's a good one. Because <laughs> anyone over that, totally right for the picking to play their role within the World Cup team for the qualifying and blah blah blah. But with the right, again, Captain Obvious speaking, with the right kind of tutelage and pulling the strings, the the ship could be righted pretty quickly. England has proved it, and let me tell you, you want to talk about a team that could be deadly. For the European Championships next year? Uh, England's a different team. England is... And, and I'm telling you, England in the next World Cup... This... I'm going to throw a wrench in again, though, because I, I agree with you completely. But you know, all the players that you mentioned, right? They're all attacking players. Yes. Right? And we are so tactically naive in the back, right? You know, and, and it's, you can bring this right back to Atlanta United, right? You take a guy like Bello, who's got all this attacking flair. They've made him an outside back. You know, he can clearly, you know, really good on the ball, really good service. But can he actually shut someone down in the back? Can he fill in behind Gonzalez Perez when he makes a mistake? Is he ready to read the game and see that? We have so many, you know, in America... My problem with American soccer for years has been not that we have not developed. Everybody says, oh, why haven't we developed the next, you know, Messi or Ronaldo? We've developed some players who are they're not them. But, you know, the Dempsey's, the Pulisic's, they are really good attacking players. My problem has been with all the freaking players we have in America, right? Where is the super back who can read the game, right? It. We are not teaching it. It doesn't exist. And all these players you talk about, these fantastic 22, doesn't mean anything. I mean, Argentina is a perfect example of this. You know, no they have Messi and they have Tevez yeah. and they have Iguain and they, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, they have guys who can score 30 goals in every single league in the world, right? And they get to the World Cup and, you know, yeah. forget about it, right? They and we, we are in many ways, emulating Argentina rather than... So I love the negativity. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's just a bit of reality. No, yeah. I know, and, and, I know. That's, that's actually a really good point because, <laughs> truth be told, if, if you look at the the composition of the of, of a back four for the United States, apart from John Brooks, and you can argue that, right? But apart from John Brooks... And and DeAndre Yedlin. Yeah. Yedlin is a classic American back, though. Super physical. Yeah. Good on the ball, fast, but a little bit tactically naive, marking and closing spaces and reading the game. But 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 who do you pair with Brooks, and who do you have on the left? Uh, to be determined. But but you're right. There is a bevy of the free flowing. That's all the fun stuff. But but when you get down in the trenches, 
So let's see if DeBoer can develop Miles Robinson. Miles Robinson. I think has a lot of talent and actually looks like he can read the game. Yeah, but he's the knock on him is he's not great with the the ball at his foot. Or at least he's a little little sketchy. And that is not total football. That's not the Frank DeBoer guy that he's going to trust. You have to have that hard talent skill of being able to like just be able to. But preseason, control. he's been starting actually yeah. Robinson with Gonzalez well, he, Perez and Parker on the other side. Yeah, you hope that he can develop that over the next year, yeah. right? Like, well, he's got good height too. He's, yeah. he's six yeah. foot six one. And you hope that, like, I don't know, Dave knows this. Like, LGP is has not historically been my favorite player, but he improved a lot of his flaws as the season went on last year and didn't make those um, kind of lackadaisical errors that he was making in the previous year and a half. Um, you know, incredible skill and talent, but just in terms of being able to focus. We are almost an hour into this thing, gentlemen. Um, I think it's time we just start well, to, to get towards the end. Where's the wine? Where are we at the level in the wine? Mine is completely gone. <laughs> well, there's one other thing. I and like how's the fire? Fire's great. You can't see it. that, dear podcast listener, but the fire is still going. So are, are you guys dialed into um, the whole program called Station Soccer? No, what's up? So it, 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 it's been around for quite a, many, many years, and it was originally called Soccer in the Streets. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and it's 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 evolved into this thing called Station Soccer. Yeah, I think it's amazing. The one, the one that they built down in little five points. Right, has been they're going to have it like Marta stations. And and, and yeah. let me just tell you my personal experience with it because they have one yeah. at the West End Station. My son took part in like a pickup thing back in like November or December, and. Got the notice that hey, we're doing another thing, uh, and it was two weeks ago. I got the ping. I'm like, hey, like, yeah, yeah, well, I'm doing great. So I'm like, hey, station soccer. We hop on the Marta here at Kensington. Off we go. Get to the west. You know, get boom, boom, and there's the two soccer fields. And let me tell you, it, it like. Without being too esoteric about it, it completely reaffirmed and assured like soccer at a grassroots level is here mm. because they had two mini fields right above them were the train tracks, which were ended up going to the airport, right? Because it's the West End. Mm. They got the under 14s playing on this one and the under 11s playing on another round robin. It cost nothing. There was total local sponsorship that had yeah. fruit and snacks for the kids all day. We're not above crying here on the ACL. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 it, and, and it ended with a pizza party. Well, my point is, mm-hmm. I watched my son play soccer for four hours that afternoon yeah. with kids he had never met. Yeah, And it was just like... Watching it just for the purity yeah. of it. Yeah, know? I think so that entire concept cool. to open it up, um, expose more people is, uh, is, is well, not cool. for nothing. Kensington Marta Station is right there. Well, what what should we do locally here in Avondale State? Don't, I, don't give away our location. Yeah, <laughs> people um, will. The demand will be. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm already I'm already looking into why can't we have two fields there? 
Yeah. Nice. I've, I've already put the feelers in. Awesome. All right. Well, Just, let's let's uh, let's close this puppy down. Um, and so, with that heartwarming uh, story, I'm going to try to bring not to it, be you I'm know try to bring it down. So, Billy, what we do every time here, <laughs> since Atlanta United is awesome, there's so many good things that you were just talking about in terms of soccer in the streets, the best stadium uh, for soccer in MLS, the best stadium in football. Uh, we just had the Super Bowl there. I mean, there's not much to fucking complain about when it comes to Atlanta <laughs> United soccer, but there has to be something that Billy Ellick does not like about Atlanta United, whether that be the tactics on the field, something about the stadium, something about the culture. What is it that you hate the most about Atlanta United? Didn't I already say that? No. I don't think so. I don't think Did so. I not go off about how they should be playing over here? I don't think so. No. Where's over there? So... And and it's not a shot at at Atlanta United. Yeah, you it's, mean their training facility? Yeah. Oh no, we haven't talked about that. So the original location for Atlanta United's headquarters is about three quarters of a mile from the place of this podcast. Yeah, I know and, that. Yeah, and and it was such an opportunity. In lost. general, I mean, in, not in gen- right. <laughs> directionally, <laughs> but it it was such an opportunity lost because. Those discussions were so far down the path. I remember seeing in the AJC the renderings of what they were going to do. And it was like so encouraging of like, oh my God, we're going to be able to hop on our bikes if we wanted to or just walk over. But hop on our bikes and go over and watch training. Carlos Bogonegra would live around the corner from me right now. Yeah. I'm, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, but and 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 so it's not a shot at Atlanta United. It's just more of I know that our politicians in DeKalb County specifically said we're not going to we're not going to um, give any sort of tax break to a billionaire. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. All right. I love the hit. and and the plot of land that they were looking to build, which was. Like sixteen acres is like still there, and it's whatever. Yeah, and they're up in Cobb County, <laughs> so it's not it's not what I hate about Atlanta United. It's just... are you saying you hate Marietta? <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair, Dave. Do you have anything? Don't hate Marietta. Do you have anything new to hate on? Nah, Should just save it well, up. That's not hating. That's just <laughs> stupidity. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, Billy, thank you very much for joining thank us you for uh, having as me. our guest for ETL <laughs> on Fire Episode 2. Uh, folks, as always, uh, you can find us on atlonfire.com. We are on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, uh, what is it, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all those places. And uh, follow us on Twitter at atlonfire.com. Everybody we have promised to produce a podcast very irregularly <laughs> and infrequently. Yes, because it's really hard to wrangle <laughs> every uh, once in a while. Every yeah. once in a while, when we're feeling like it, you just <laughs> have to wait for it. All right, guys, thank you, uh, and uh, have a great.